Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Brain Food Show. Just before we get started today, I want to get a plug out of the way because we now, when the technology doesn't let us down, <laughs> and the great irony of this statement is we already tried recording this once and then my audition crashed. Uh, we now live stream this podcast on YouTube, generally on Fridays, but today is a Tuesday. So uh, we, I think we were planning to do it last Friday, but we didn't. But if you want to see us live stream this thing with video and all sort of an uncut version, you can do that on our YouTube channel. We'd like that. Come and join us and say hi. Anyway, it's not just me on this show. David, how are you doing? Doing well. And I see you have your Picard cup. I do. Oh, you have your Picard cup as well. The only problem with the Picard cups, and for reference here, this, where did you get these? This was a gift from you to me. eBay. They, they sold them in like the 1980s, but you can still get them on eBay. They're, they're awesome. So this is actually from the 1980s. Yeah. And That's when I cool. bought it uh, from, it's, it smelled like the box was unopened and it smelled like it was in some grandma's attic, you know, oh. for like 20 or 30 years. That's so you're going to say it smelled like the 1980s. <laughs> gonna, what does that smell yeah, like? Yeah. It smells like yeah. history. The box had never been opened though, so they were new. But these are the cups that when Picard on Star Trek The Next Generation famously asks for tea, Earl Grey, hot. This is what comes out of the, the replicator. Have you ever asked Alexa for tea, Earl Grey hot? No. I'd recommend that. Um, I'm just going to leave no. that as a surprise. You've got an Alexa, right? Uh, yes. Cool. Okay, go ask it for tea, Earl Grey hot later and you'll see what it does. It's a nice Easter egg. Anyway, what are we talking about today? We are talking about the Forgotten Plague and uh, it was uh, surprisingly deadly of Dance Mania, which was a real thing. When I saw the title for this one, I was like, this has got to be a modern thing, right? Like dance mania even sounds super yeah. modern. It sounds like... It sounds like a joke. Yeah. But it's not. <laughs> it sounds like Many one of those, people died. In quite, quite nasty ways. Like yeah. exhaustion. <laughs> yeah. it, it sounds like one of those uh, arcade things where you have to, you know, the, you've got the, the four arrows and you've got to da, 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 dance on the four arrows and then you've got to... Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm yeah, describing yeah. this yeah, terribly. Yeah. <laughs> but I feel like everyone has uh, Dance Dance I mean. Revolution and those... Yeah, those, that's it. Know. Yeah, it sounds like one of those, but it's not. It's horrible and it involves no, death. No, and we're going to start out with a quote about that very thing from a 1625 whoa, whoa. Strasbourg Chronicle of Cow. Where's our quick what? fact? No quick fact today. No, I didn't have time. And plus, Deep this is a really sadness. long one. So, <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'll make do with that my quick facts. Yeah, oh, sorry, yeah. there's a quote. You want me to read the quote? Where's it from? <laughs> yes, uh, 1625 Strasbourg Chronicle of Klein Cowl, maybe. Sure. <laughs> don't know. Amidst our people, here is come the madness of the dance. In every town there are now some who fall upon a trance. It drives them ever night and day. They scarcely stop for breath, till some have dropped along the way, and some are met by death. We're, we're like all news... Is this a news article? Did they rhyme them in the past? No, this is like a poem of, of the one of the events. There's many events, uh, as we'll get into going back. I think it was the 7th century was the first known instance. It was I didn't actually write that one down, but I think it was like a priest. There were some kids basically dancing outside the thing and making a ruckus and so that he supposedly cursed them and then they danced for like a year. But obviously that's probably mostly exaggerated, but that is the first instance of something like that. And then later it caught on to much more like a gen uh, definitely not a legend, um, quite well documented. Um, so before we get into any of that, though, we're going to start with uh, we're going to move back a, a few hundred years from that 1625 mm -hmm. uh, reference to the 14th century. So at this point, you had the international trade was booming there. You had the Silk Road from China to England and all that, doing lots, spreading lots of commerce, but also contagious diseases. And drugs. 
Like I read about yeah. that Silk Road and the opium trade and yeah. all this stuff. Super interesting time in history. Mm -hmm. And then later on, there was that yeah. pirate guy who was selling drugs on the internet. Dread pirate someone or other. Did you not read this story? It's amazing. No, no. He was a bit, it was this guy who started the Silk Road website, which was a website where apparently you could buy like heroin on the internet. <laughs> I think he was Dutch. And then there was some famous case, like he got extradited and now he's in prison for like 400 years. It's intense. <laughs> I have not heard of that. definitely do now. a video about it. If you haven't, it's a super interesting story. We should do that. On a, on a was video. it called the Dread Pirate Roberts? That's him, yeah. Yeah, that, that's from the Princess Bride, which you... Is it really? Seen still. Yeah. No, I haven't seen yeah. it. I, I posted that on Twitter and um, I was thinking about doing... Apparently there's an app called Rabbit, which lets you watch TV shows and movies mm -hmm. with people live. And I was thinking that at some point I would definitely schedule me watching the Princess Bride live so I can interact with people and like pause it and say, yeah. like, what's this about? Or I was like, oh, that yeah. cultural reference that I've just been ignorant yeah. of. You'll get so a, many a lot years. of new stuff, but in any event. So going to the Crimean Peninsula there in the city of port city of Kaffa was the first known site of the Black Death, which was soon to rage across Europe. Uh, and so the, from 1346 to 1353, 60% of the entire European population died in that little, little tiny span, seven or eight years of, of, of the Black Death. And that yeah. reduced the Earth's population from 430 million people down to about 350 to 375 million people. And that was um, just in Europe, right? Yeah, that, this was just, this was just Europe. Insane. It was 60, 60%, more than half, like every other person in Europe died in that, that span. And so... This brings us around, so a couple decades after the peak of the Black Death. Also, isn't it crazy that 700 years ago, the population of the Earth was only, what, after the Black Death, 350 million? They're, they're even crazier. You can go back, like the mitochondrial Eve and stuff, where you can trace it back. So there was like one woman who we're all kind of related to, you know? Yeah. Not necessarily like directly, but there is one woman that like every human on the planet seems to be related to. And there was, uh, there was before her, I think there was a... Something Adam Y chromosome Adam. I think it was before her or after. I can't remember that we're also all related to. I can't remember. It was it was a big span gap, and they just kind of come up with those names. Uh, but I wonder where they got those names from. <laughs> yeah, but it, the fascinating thing is the, the the human population was so small at that point that you could all have like a you know a common ant or it was small enough that then you know later down the line we can all be interconnected enough to be related to these two people. Um, and then there was there was other, other instances too. Yeah, yeah, yay, exactly. <laughs> So, peak of the Black Death, uh, you go a couple decades after that, and this is when, so things are starting to get back to normal, but then, then you know, just like normal crappy for that time to be a human. Um, yeah. So then al along Sorry, the ride... We live in the future and it's awesome. In the <laughs> yeah, way, way <laughs> like, more awesome. All of the complaints, everything that we complain about, it's, you'd you just be glad you're not it's, alive in the 14th yeah. century. <laughs> yeah. Just be glad that like, you know, uh, by just as a matter of course, half your children don't die, you know, by the age of five and... You know, just like it happens to everyone. Yeah. So this is, you know, Black Death. It's still, you know, people are still dying from stuff, but it's not like the mass thing mm -hmm. like it was. And then, you know, things are getting back to normal. And then you have this huge deluge that occurs along the, the Rhine River there. And it rose 34 feet or for non-freedom units. That's about 10 meters. Ha ha ha. That, yeah. So that ends up drowning, like obviously many towns along the rivers and everything are just, you know, underwater. Lots of homes are destroyed. And this obviously causes a huge also um, shortage of crops and things like that. So everyone's starving shortly thereafter because it's just a good time to be alive. Um, so this all brings us finally to June 24th, 1374. Mm -hmm. 
And so it's the, this is the, the first of the best documented uh, dance manias, which we'll get into. The, the second one is way better documented than this one. Uh, but this one is, is so widely reported that we at least know the, the broad swaths of things. Mm-hmm. Oh, I should mention that it's also call, called St. John's Dance or St. Vitus's Dance or the Dance Plague. And we'll get into why St. Vitus and St. John in a bit. But it, it, is, it is June 24th, 1374. Mm-hmm. And so on the streets of Aachen, is that pronounced Aachen? I've actually been to Aachen a couple of times. Yeah. Yeah. They have an amazing Christmas. Yeah, I have. They have an amazing Christmas market. And when I was at school, I went to school in England, obviously. And tw- uh, once a year for the Christmas market, we'd do a school trip out there. But this, it's not close. You know, you think mm-hmm. Europe's small, but Germany's still quite far away. And you've got to cross a channel to mm-hmm. get there or go under a channel in this case. We'd take a coach out at some ridiculously early hour of the morning. We'd go to the Aachen Christmas market. We'd buy junk or whatever Christmas markety things that 12-year-old boys buy. I don't know, generally gifts that I guess my parents didn't actually want. And then we'd come back at like quarter past midnight. So we'd do this trip in one day. And mm-hmm. it, I don't know, in retrospect, that seems insane. Because uh, yeah. now, when I have to drive two hours to go away for the weekends, I'm like, oh, well, it's two hours and it's only one overnight. <laughs> and I'm like, mm, maybe not. And it's like, no, we went to Aachen in a day on like a crappy school bus. That is on a school bus. Well, I, I'm not like what you imagined as a school bus. It was like a big coach. But yeah. Like a big coach. Because we don't have like the a, yellow school bus. horse drawn. No, oh, you don't call them <laughs> coaches. Um, wow, we are having some communication issues today. Uh, a coach is like a fancy bus. Okay. Ah, imagine a greyhound, like a greyhound bus. Okay. But not, not but a without bus people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, and also the seats are, you know, not horribly stained and it doesn't smell funny. And yeah, the greyhound bus. Greyhound you don't buses. have people that might murder you when you get off. I told you I spent a month traveling the US on greyhound buses, right? It was an experience yeah. of American culture. I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Bus people are a real thing. June 24th. 1374, the people in Aachen, Germany, they keep, they just started dancing around for some reason. This one, it's not really documented how it started, but just some, it was in that town. Mm. So they're not just dancing. It's a very frantic dancing and they, they seem to be like in a trance and also experiencing hallucinations and, uh, and doing a lot of other things we'll get into, uh, on the later, better documented instance. So this ends up swelling to thousands of people in that region. And then it spreads to France where in France alone, there is a, a, reported anyway, 11,000 people were afflicted with the dance, dance mania, the dance plague. Yeah. So it, had, it, this is, this had happened in isolated instances, little pockets here and there. So like uh, another one is Erfurt, Germany in 1247. There was one, a couple of, or well, more than a couple of, it was about three or 400, I think people were dancing on the, uh, on a bridge in this sort of dance mania, frantic thing on, over the Moselle or Mose river. And then it collapsed and two, 200 of them died. Oh my. But the survivors were sent to the St. Vitus's. Uh, there was like a chapel nearby. Yeah. And so they were sent there to get cured because St. Vitus was the, um, the like the patron saint of dance or something like that. And so it was just thought to be like a curse for that. But important it's to note here, this, yeah, the St. Vitus thing actually seems to have worked at curing them. And that's, this is like a theme going on. Like this actually worked to cure them, to take the, take the people to a St. Vitus uh, shrine or chapel or whatever, and then do a little ritual. This brings us to the much, much, much better documented Dance Mania event that was also pretty big, not, not as big as this one was, but in July of 1518, 
before leading up to this, once again, there was a series of poor harvests. There was there were also super long winters, and this resulted in a lot of famine, lots of disease. Uh, syphilis was uh, rearing its head at this point in Europe mm-hmm. for the seemingly the first time, although that's debated, but at least extremely widespread and reported. Uh, so it was uh, perhaps a new disease or whatever. People were unhappy. People were dying. People were starving. And can, this can, brings us... Can you imagine how much it would suck where like, a poor harvest affects your life? Yeah, because they, they just... Well, and they didn't really have, like over the winters, they didn't have great means of storing a lot of the foods from, you know, it would just go bad eventually. This is why like ham was traditional around spring because ham, the way they cure it, it lasts longer than the other meats. And you had like seasons for meats, which we, we just don't really have anymore because you just go to the store and buy whatever. Of course. So there were these seasons for meats. And this is why a lot of the holidays like uh, like Thanksgiving as turkey and, uh, you know, the ham for like Easter or lamb is also great for Easter because, you know, the lambs are just born, uh, that sort of mm-hmm. thing. Um, so anyways, going back to this event, we actually know who started it. There was one woman who started this whole thing. It was a woman by the name of Frau Trophia or Trophia. So on July 14th, 1518, Frau, she steps out of her home in Strasbourg. Is she German? Yeah, she's German. She is. Frau mean like... She's French. Oh. Well, but right on the border. Like, it's literally like right on the border of the town of Alsace uh, or Strasbourg in Alsace, France. Alsace, I think. I looked... Okay, yeah, I looked it up and it is like right on the border, like super close. But doesn't Frau mean like Miss or Mrs. in German? Does it? I'm really not sure. This is the name everyone gives everywhere. So maybe oh, maybe okay. no one knows her first name. Maybe it is just Frau Trophia. I don't like know. I can be totally Trophia. wrong. Just go for Frau. So July 14th, 1518, she steps out of her house in, in that, that border uh, town of Strasbourg. And she's, she's oh, right there. Sorry, she steps j- out sorry of- to interrupt you, but it's amazing that we're doing this yeah. live. Because people in the chat are like, yeah, Frau means Mrs. Okay. So maybe no one actually knows her first name. I always just assumed it was, it was Frau. Um, either way. So I'll just... So that just ruins because I put Frau everywhere because I just didn't go for Frau. Yet. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, miss, Mrs. <laughs> Perpetuate the lie, Damon. <laughs> yeah. So she, she's out on the cobble street and she just starts dancing very frantically, this sort of frantic dance that they do. There's no music. There's no other apparent motivation. And so we have uh, this one. This one is so well documented because Swiss physician uh, and alchemist. Uh, I don't know. What do you think? Paracelsus? Paracelsus. I have no idea. Sure. Sure. <laughs> so anyway, the father of toxology. So that's the thing oh. he was known for. He chronicles this about eight years later. He went to the town. He interviews people and he, he chronicles like what happened. How did this start? And so yeah. Trophia's husband, apparently, according to him, tried to stop her from dancing. He goes out there, tries to you know get her to stop. She She won't stop. She's, you know not really like she's like not all there mm-hmm. kind of thing how these people get shocker yeah so she finally so they just leave her she dancing there for hours and hours on end she finally collapses from exhaustion but it didn't stop there because when she woke up the next day she gets up her feet are bloodied and swollen and she just starts dancing frantically again mm. and so she does this for four to six days it's not quite clear exactly how long but at that point the authority local authorities are intervening because you know there's this crazy lady dancing and so they come they take her in a wagon uh, to the to a shrine of St. Vitus and that's about 30 miles away and they cure her of the affliction and it totally works again like she's she's instantly cured after this going to the St. Vitus which we'll get into why that is shortly I'm gonna guess it's probably not something to do with uh, you know magic no <laughs> no, no it's not, not magic but the problem was is shortly thereafter other people yeah. started dancing uh, around hysterically in the town as well and soon the numbers swelled into the hundreds all doing this self-destructive dancing. And so this is when the authorities, they, they consult, consulted local physicians, is what, what's wrong with these people. Uh, and so this, of course, the, the 
general catch-all of hot blood was was determined. <laughs> I saw an amazing meme the other day. Someone shared it with me on Twitter. And it was like comparing like doctors today with doctors back in the day. Have you seen this? No. Uh, it's amazing. And it's like, why are doctors so boring today? And it would have like, has a stethoscope, wears a white coat. And it would be a doctor back in the day. And you'd have the picture of the doctor, you know, when they were wearing like the, the plague masks, you know, that looked kind of like they had a <laughs> yeah. giant beak and they had a robe yeah. and a cane. And it's like, doctors back in the day, pimp cane, wears a cool beak mask and deals with the ghosts in your blood. It's <laughs> <laughs> so good. It's true. I also yeah. love that other the, the so they had so you know now we have the the ADs for like zapping people's hearts and everything that you uh-huh. see at like pools and like public places. But back then, like there was a time in Britain, I think it was. Uh, not I don't remember what century it was. I know what you're but talking they literally about. Literally, would have, yeah, the, smoke the, in the Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that was like the cure all. Like if you drowned, they would literally pull you out of the water and and just like take your pants off, <laughs> shove, a, shove a tube up your butt, and just start bellows like adding some air. No, but it was with smoke, wasn't it? It wasn't just air. Yes, they'd light like yeah, a it was, fire. and they would they would light a fire and get smoke, <laughs> which would wake you up if if you were able to be conscious, I suppose. Old school doctors. Well, and they would also do. They had the if you didn't have that around, the emergency was to use a, a pipe. So you'd put the embers in there, and then put the pipe, and then blow to get the. I'd never use that pipe again. <laughs> that pipe is its life. Its useful lifespan is over. So yes, the hot blood. The hot blood. Hot blood. So normally the, the cure for that would be, of course, to take them to a barber and have them bled, like whether they slid, slip their something and then bleed them out into a bowl or just, you know, leeches or whatever. So that's the normal thing. But there's hundreds of people that are doing this frantic dancing. It's not exactly practical. So they say the physicians recommend the cure then, an alternate cure, would be just to get them to dance it out. And so sort of like the dance-a-thon cure, cure-all. Mm-hmm. And so they ordered, the, the authorities in the town ordered stages to be set up in the town centers and for people to dance on amazing and then just to make just to make sure people would dance as vigorously as possible they hired musicians to play day and night vigorous music very boisterous you know to get them to dance faster and whatnot and so as you might imagine this had the opposite effect is what they were going for and and when you add music in a stage then like more people started dancing and frantic music yeah exactly and so this Again, this might sound super funny and like YouTube gold, but the truth is actually like it was actually probably a little frightening to watch because people were like vigorously dancing, jumping about uh, one account. They said they raged like beasts over the land, seemingly in a trance. You couldn't like like get them to register what was going around them. They would scream and chant until they were completely exhausted and then just like flop over. And some of them died from like cardiac arrest and stuff like that. And some of them just from the violent from jumping around and like that sort of thing. They would have injuries that they would sustain. They literally partied so hard they died. <laughs> exactly. And uh, they would, when they were on the ground, often they would foam at the mouth, twitch around, like gasping for air, like they couldn't breathe and all this. And then as soon as they recovered, they would get up and continue dancing and just do this kind of day and night with very few breaks. Like some of them would come out of it for a while mm-hmm. and then they would go and like eat or whatever, rest up, but then they would, you know, be drawn back into it. Like they couldn't stop themselves type of thing. Oh, and then other accounts were like they were squealing like animals, like rolling around in the dirt, ripping off their clothes, having sex with each other, uh, doing screaming for people to beat them and like beat the bottoms of their feet uh, as they riot on the ground in pain. See, um, and as generally. Now, up until this point, I was, I kind of was thinking, okay, so it's, you know, in the head. It's got it, you know, most of it's in the head, but then you get to this yeah. part and it's like, that's super specific. Yeah. Like maybe there's something wrong with yeah. their feet and that's why they need to be moving about. 
Well, I was thinking because their feet probably at this point got to hurt a lot. So maybe it's like it's like excruciating pain. And then I don't know, they've just kind of gone crazy a little bit and just like the pain. Of it it more. Yeah, it's like after I've been whipped yeah. extensively, I'm like, you know what? Fix this yeah. more whipping. Yeah. Well, they, they've fixed the dancing is more dancing. So how are we going to cure this disease? More disease. <laughs> yeah. This was in Italy. I didn't cover the Italy part because that's sometimes considered like a separate thing. But they had it was something to do with the tarantula, like where they thought if people got bitten, they would have this dance happen, like they would suddenly be able to uncontrollably dance around. And so they would do this. And the cure there was as well to dance it out, uh, basically dance hysterically. And they had little minor instances of this popping up uh, as well. But in this case, it was thought to be rather than a curse from St. Vitus, it was thought to be from like a bug bite or a spider bite. Okay. And that sort of thing. But Either way, when, when coming back to this, when it, when it was very clear that the stages of music were having the opposite of the intended effect, uh, they instead, the authorities then said, demolish the stages, and then they banned all dancing and music in the town. That actually something lasted for a couple months uh, through September of that year, which they did have one exception, as one Strasbourg official noted. If honorable persons wish to dance at weddings or celebrations of first mass in their houses, they may do so using stringed instruments, but they are on their conscience not to use tambourines and drums. I and they don't this. want anyone on the streets like hearing. I love how broken we are as humans, just how our brains are so broken. We're just be that you know, the, always the classic example. Oh, we sacrificed a goat yesterday. And the volcano erupted. So sacrificing goats mm -hmm. causes volcanoes to erupt. You know, yeah. or I think it's normally said the other way around, right? You know, or it's, yeah. the volcano yeah. hasn't erupted. Maybe it's all the goat sacrifice we do. Just yeah. our brains love gets, that correlation. Yeah, we, we're going to delve into the, the why of this later. And it gets a lot of that. It's, it's totally just Sorry, like our monkey has, brains. Yeah. Our monkey brains cannot. <laughs> or just monkey brains. <laughs> Does not Nothing compute. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so... Now, they wanted to get all the people off the streets dancing because they realized with other people, when other people saw them dancing, then other people would join in on the dancing. Yeah. Uh, so they, they set up guild halls. They, guild halls ordered to just put all the people that were frantically dancing in those guild halls so they could dance it out, uh, out, out of public What's a guild sight. Hall? It's just like a, like a commerce, like, a, like a, you might have a, I don't know, woodworkers guild or something. Ah, uh, okay, then, gotcha. So like a big, a warehouse, a warehouse, basically. It's, it sounds like a festival of some kind, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so once they get everyone out, out of out of sight, then they go back to the, the so they did have a cure that was curing people. This mistrophia uh, was cured by this. So they started taking people by the wagon load to the shrine. And then other people, of course, would hear this. And so if they took a break, uh, you know, if they actually kind of came to their senses a little bit, then they would hear, oh, people are getting cured at the shrine of St. Vitus. So they themselves would go to the journey just to make sure they wouldn't snap back into the dancing again. Uh, so they it, it ends up they go. And there's the mechanism for actually curing them there was so they put a cross into their hands and then they put red shoes on them. And it's not really, I don't know why the red shoes, but it was, it was noted in some of the accounts that the people really hated the, the sight of red, like it, like, you know, infuriated them for whatever reason. They, they didn't like it. Like uh, so bull. maybe that had something to do with it. Yeah. But not really like a bull because bulls don't really care about the color red. Ooh. Yep. There you go today. I found out. Yeah. I, I, I can't remember if they're colorblind to that color or not, but either way, it's not the color. It's more the, fact that the guy's standing there that you know is stuck with those what are those called those things they stick them picadors. with picadors to make them really mad yeah uh, uh, I, know, I know the guy who does it is called a picador i've got a spanish friend i was talking to him about this and because yeah. i know we did a video about the the bullfighting was it you and i or did i do it on another channel doesn't matter i don't think we have but i've covered it before too i don't think we've done it on the youtube channel bullfighting you think oh well they put the bull in the bullfighting arena with the uh, matador 
And you think, oh, okay, so he kind <laughs> yeah. of fights him and this kind of happens. It's way more intense. Like before the bull goes out, they basically no. stab him with this short little knife and then <laughs> just to rile yeah. him up. It's like, yeah. Um, apparently yeah. people go to Spain, well, like my Spanish friends, like people go and they'll go to see the bullfighting and they'll be like, this was not what I expected. Yeah. <laughs> it's way yeah. more barbaric. It's, it is super brutal. And they, then they bulls eventually bleed and then, you know, die. And you know, the matadors there, they're like rock stars. My friend was saying like the matador, okay. he's like a mega celebrity, like rock star level celebrity. The guy who, the guy who fights the bulls. Super interesting. It would take some guts to get in there with an angered, intentionally angered bull that's charging at you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they get, they get gored, which is the greatest word. (laughs) Getting stuck by a bull is actually called being gored. I like that. Yeah. Sorry, carry on. Red shoes on them. Mm. And then they would also put holy water on them as well. And this seemingly universally would cure them instantly. They would instantly no longer have the need to frantically dance about and they would be cured, go home, no longer having a problem. And so this finally, about a month and a half, this, this little dance-off uh, lasted. And then the dance plague, this edition of the dance plague ended. So how many actually died? People, it's widely reported, like 15 people per day at its peak. Okay. Or a couple hundred participants overall died. But honestly, I looked really hard to find like a contemporary account. Like an actual, like, you know, did this, this uh, father of toxology, did he say this number? No, mm-hmm. I can't find anywhere where anybody from the contemporary sources says how many people died. So uh, I don't I don't actually know if that's true or if that's just something people say, because sometimes that's the case. All right. So that brings us around to uh, what is actually thought to have caused these many instances of dance mania. These were the two biggest ones, but they were there was lots of isolated ones that were more, smaller in nature, you know, like a few dozen people here or there, that sort of thing that happened. And this first one, or this fifteen eighteen event, so Kelsis, so he says that uh, Trophia. The, the whole cause of it, according to him, is that the Trophia woman wanted to embarrass her husband, was his, his assessment of the problem. And so he says, uh, Paracelsus says, In order to make the deception as perfect as possible and really give the impression of illness, she hopped and sang, which was all most distasteful to her husband. Yeah. And then He's he claims... bad wife doing that dance. Yeah. And then he claims that other women simply joined in to likewise embarrass their husbands, was, the, was his... Uh, is the, and two, in his defense, he is at least like the first one to think maybe it's just all in their heads, even though he's got the wrong assessment. Uh, everyone else is like, you know, hot blood and it's a curse from, and he's like, nah, it's just, <laughs> they're just doing it on purpose. You know, it's, it, they're them he's that's doing the closest. it. So yeah, I don't think this is he, that He's bad. still way off, but like, you know, he's, he's, he's in the ballpark at least. Okay. So, so modern, modern things. So a popular hypothesis I just thought I'd mention, even though it's uh, totally not true, but people say it, is uh, ergotism, which is also called St. Anthony's Fire. And that's from the rye from rye and other foodstuffs and stuff. They have that fungus claviceps purpurae in it that has these alkaloids that cause uh, hallucinations, seizures, mania, convulsions, irrational behavior, and unconsciousness. And these are actually what LSD was derived from, was these alkaloids. Oh, well, it's becoming more and more like a rave, you know, with every passing paragraph. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They got LSD. They're, you know, yeah, yeah exactly. But it turns out, no, they didn't. They didn't have. Uh, it wasn't this, LSD. This couldn't have been. It couldn't be. So, the, so we have the author of A Time to Dance, A Time to Die, which is just a great title. <laughs> this, this Professor John Waller, he knows how to title things. Yeah, he does. Uh, so, 
he's a Michigan State University. So he he points out a few problems with this commonly touted theory. Was wait, so ergotism is caused by weird stuff in the food that makes people hallucinate the same drugs like LSD? Yeah, there's a there's a okay, fungus cool. in it, clavis, claviceps purpurae, that ends up producing these alkaloids that you know is like LSD. Ergotism, though, is associated to get loss of limbs because you get re- a severe restriction of blood circulation and stuff like that. And so that, oh. and also, it's unlikely people suffering from this could have danced around for days on end because of this. Uh, also, um, the the fact that it would last for, you know, so many days and all this, and uh, they're convulsing, like, all this seems to be like, and there was no after the fact, there was no, like, everyone was losing their limbs type of thing. And not, no, like, widespread gangrene. Sounds way less Things fun. like this. Yeah. And so... Oh, and, and, the, and the 1374 event, which uh, went after the Black Death, that one was so widespread that how did it start in one town and then spread like throughout, uh, you know, spanning countries in Europe? Uh, so they all somehow got infected like after, like as it, it just didn't make any sense um, that that uh-huh. could be the cause. So it's, you know, so the real cause is almost certainly purely psychological. Yeah, it's it was uh, completely in their heads. And so... Again, dance mania. So we have the most widespread one, perhaps not not coincidentally, followed the Black Death and lots of, you know, starving people and lots of dead people and all this. So basically extreme, extreme stress. Everyone's under a lot of stress and all that. And then the 1518 event, again, you had the outbreaks of syphilis. syphilis. You had lots of famine from all the, the flooding of the Rhine. So this doesn't explain. So they, have, they all have extreme stress. But why did they all start dancing this hysterical dance? Like, what was that about? It's like, it's got to be, I'm just going to guess, like when you see one person has this and then another person has it, people just start, you know, I don't know what it's called, like the crowd psychology or whatever, where you're like, oh yeah, this person's got it. So, oh, you know, I, you know, I've got an itchy knee and the other person's like, oh, me too. Then the third person is like, me too. And then before you know, everyone's like, oh, we've got the itchy knee disease. And it's just, no, one person had an itchy knee and the other person thought they did. And then it's just in your head. And this exactly. And in this case, not only that, you'll note that almost all the instances of dance mania around this German, you know, Germany, France, you know, like the right on the border and all this around this region where there was a long, deep seated belief in this dance mania that you could get you could get, you know, cursed by St. Vitus. And so, like, if you have a lot of things going wrong in your life and then you you will you, you know, so you have all this anxiety, this stress and you have no outlet, you know, it's just everything's crappy. And then you I'm cursed. That's what's happened here. And then so you just start dancing. You know, because that gives you also the that's one of the cures too of St. Vitus is, is just to dance it out. And so then, of course, when you're when you're doing this and then, as you say, other people see it, they're stressed too. They, and that's I mean, you could probably you could imagine seeing people actually dancing like this would not be funny. Like it would be like, whoa, it, like uh, it sounds pretty terrifying. Like this isn't some regular, yeah. you know, da, 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 dance. These people are raging. Yeah, no, this you can imagine more like a zombie movie, like just like, you know, hundreds Great, of people yeah. all around, like bloodied bloodied and like jumping around and some of them were even like would go and attack people nearby uh, and if they didn't start dancing as well so it's like exactly like zombies really so this this is what you're actually witnessing so so yeah this is this doesn't uh, this doesn't exactly lower your stress levels and then you think well maybe i'm cursed too they're cursed you know clearly so we're all cursed here so then they start dancing as well and so we we have so many examples of this outside of dance mania uh so we're going to go to the so we have like the running amok Mm. Or the laughing, the 1962 Tang, I don't know. What do you think? I remember Tanganyika? this from a video we did. Um, and I couldn't find a pronunciation for it online. So I think I just went with Tanganyika. But. Yeah, yeah, that sounds good. So the laughing epidemic of 1962. But 
what people don't talk about with this laughing epidemic. It wasn't just laughing. So it did start with three little girls in school where it began giggling and laughing, uh, eventually seemingly uncontrollably, starting on January 30th, 1962. Yeah. And this laughter then sort of sporadically, it wasn't like all of a sudden everyone started laughing and they couldn't stop, you know, for good. It was like, you know, they this group might laugh, this pocket might laugh for like an hour and like, and then this pocket, like it would jump up again around here. So, but this again, what's not reported a lot is it wasn't just laughing. They were jumping around, rolling around on the ground. They were fainting. They were showing signs of like extreme anxiety, a little bit similar to the dance mania mm. a bit, um, not quite as violent, you know, but they, they still like kids fainting and passing out from it and exertion, um, crying. There was like weeping and all this. It wasn't just laughing. And so this occurred for four months, like off and on. And they ended up having like 60% of the students in the school were affected at one point or another. They eventually had to close down the school temporarily. Uh, it soon spread as news got out. It soon spread to other villages where other schools, it was up to, it was 14 schools had to temporarily shut down and over 1,000 people, mostly children, uh, were, were, were affected and notably here, mostly poor children. The, the, the rich kids didn't really seem to have this problem. <laughs> and so blood samples were taken and all that and nothing, there was nothing wrong with any of them. Uh, so moving over to running amok. Yeah. Now, so this one, if people don't know, comes but from... Just hang the, on, before you do, I just say like uh -huh. the laughing thing uh, outside of the uh -huh. you know extreme anxiety and all those other symptoms this is definitely contagious because yeah i don't know especially when you're like these are girls and kids i yeah, remember when you can I imagine the, school, the first three girls might have just been like genuine laughing and then just like kept going you know or even not i felt, I, I don't know from my personal experience i found laughter spreads most in those situations when you're not supposed to laugh like yeah I don't know. Like in at, a strict school like they were at? Oh, in church, where it'd be like, yeah. you know, <laughs> and someone would just laugh <laughs> for no reason. And then you'd also be like, <laughs> and then yeah, before you know it, like everyone on your row is laughing. And then it's just, and everyone's just like, I just remember being, you'd just be like, get it together. Don't laugh. Don't laugh. It's not appropriate. But it was, uh, yeah. 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 It does spread. Yeah. And then, of course, with or when you're being told off by a teacher. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and you can imagine this, these were strict schools and whatnot. They yeah. were probably like stop laughing kids. But anyways, <laughs> going back to running amok. So we have the people, this comes from the melee culture. Mm -hmm. And so this is actually, again, like we say, like, do you have that expression uh, in yeah, we do. the UK? Okay. So yeah, Especially it's just, you know, said to like kids, maybe. Yeah, you're running amok. It's like, sounds like a joke. But in reality, the melee culture <laughs> wasn't a joke. In real life. We they, it was more like this. the movie... The, the movie Falling Down, if people have seen that one, where the guy just snaps and goes on a murder spree, this is exactly what happened. So they would go, run around, basically try to kill anyone they came across. Like, yeah. literally just, you couldn't reason with them. They would just, like, they were crazy all of a sudden. And, like, a perfectly normal person would just suddenly snap. And so this was first described in 1516, or at least in documented evidence of it, uh, in the book of Duarte Barbosa, an account of the countries bordering on the Indian Ocean and their inhabitants, where it notes... There are some of them, the Javanese, who go out into the streets and kill as many persons as they meet. They are called Amako. And so, because it was thought, they thought the evil spirits caused this, so the person wasn't doing it of their own free will. So if they survived the event, they actually were often only given really light punishment, even though they might have killed many people. Uh, the ghosts in the blood again. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? That hot <laughs> blood. But yeah, so evil spirit caused it. 
And they so but they often didn't survive because when they were running amok, uh, you know, trying to kill people, of course, people were just going to stand around, and let themselves be killed. They were often attack the person and try to subdue them. And that person would often die in the process. But some survived and often got off scot-free or with, uh, at least according to accounts, very little punishment because it wasn't them. It was an evil spirit that did it. So important to this is that it ex- from accounts that exist, it seems like the people who would run amok also had extreme trauma in their life happened directly before. Like, you know, loss of loss of, you know, maybe they were starving. Maybe they had, you know, loss of ability to support their family or, or maybe deaths in the family, like, you know, their family dies or something and that sort of thing. So these these seem to be the, the type of things. And so very much like the laughing epidemic, the dance, the, the dance, dance revolution of the ancient <laughs> times, this this seems to all like happen after times of extreme stress and to people who are under extreme stress. And so this brings us to uh, the so going back to the the laughter epidemic. Uh, so yeah. Professor Christian Hempelman, who did his, I believe it was his PhD paper that he actually did covering the laughing, the laughing event. Uh, so he's now actually a professor at Texas A&M. So he states... In 1962, Tanganyika had just won its independence. The young people involved reported that they were feeling stressed by the higher expectations of their teachers and parents. And again, of the 60% or so of the people in that first school that were affected, pretty much all of them, or the majority of them, were really poor. And so the doing well academically was basically their way out. And so that this was, they were under a lot of stress and pressure to excel there to, uh-huh. you know, actually have a life at some point. And that's when interviews were done and stuff to, to sort of investigate this. It was found that the students uh, consistently reported they were under a ton of stress. Hence why the rich kids were less affected. Yeah, exactly. And so... Uh, in this case, there doesn't seem so in the, in the running amok, there was that sort of however it started, there was that pre-existing belief that there was an evil spirit doing it. Uh, so, yeah. so people had that. So like if they if they suddenly felt like they're, you know, they're snapped, they just felt like, you know, they had this pre-existing behavior of, OK, when that evil spirit comes, you go and you kill people like that's what you do. And so it was like this this accepted thing. And so they kind of had a pre-existing idea similar to the dance mania of what would happen if you're cursed or whatever. Uh, and yeah. so this the, in, in the laughter case, it doesn't seem like there was any sort of starting there. But like, as you say, it just takes a few people to spark laughing. And then it's, if they're under extreme stress, they have a lot of anxiety. And all of a sudden, you know, they're just laughing hysterically and jumping around and they, they get in this kind of weird mental state. Uh, so going. So so this brings us to another example. And this is a pretty clear cut example of a, it's a similar behavior, but slightly different. But again, the expectations were there where people had a very expectation of what would happen if you kind of get in a certain state. And so this, in this case, we're going to go with nuns. And it was nuns in the same exact era, the sort of the 15th to 17th centuries in this case. So there's numerous accounts of these nuns. So sometimes groups of nuns, sometimes individual nuns. Uh, it often expanded to groups uh, that would just snap and exhibit this, this sort of behavior. So we're going to start a 1491 event as an example. So there's a large group of nuns that suddenly started acting like animals, including dogs, cats, and birds. They were running around screaming hysterically convulsing, acting super lewdly, like towards the priests who were trying to exercise the demons and like trying to get the priests to have sex with them. And you can, you want to read the names of the demons. I've been they, laughing for like two minutes because I read ahead and read the names. Yeah, so, so the, the nuns, nuns would, they, yeah. So the nuns that give, like, they'd call themselves demon names, like ash-colored b- and dog's b- I'm such a child. Yeah, so these were, you know, is not exactly typical <laughs> nun behavior. It's good so again, 
they seem to be groups of nuns that were under a lot of stress. So you consider a nun, a lot of these nuns, they didn't become nuns on their own will. They were put in these convents, you know, against their will often, um, just sort of like the parents' way of, you know, getting, you know, because they, they, nuns had a somewhat comfortable life in a lot of respects, but they were also completely awful because, you know, they were expected to not just behave perfectly, like perfectly morally, but also the thoughts in their head, like you couldn't even have, you know, sinful thoughts. And so this, you know, this, they were under a lot of stress to just be like, think and act perfectly all the time in an environment where everything was controlled. Maybe they didn't even want to be there. Uh, So this, uh, you know, you could see why this would be like a high stress, high anxiety, especially because they, you know, these, these people, they're, they're generally believing, like if they're thinking these immoral thoughts, like now I'm like evil and, you know, I need to, you know, go confess my sins or whatever, but this, and so they, they, when they were struggling with these sorts of things, you could see why it would be super high stress. Yeah. And they're going to snap eventually. And how they snap is textbook example of how the description of what being demon possessed would be like at the what people thought at that time period. And it's not uh, perhaps coincidental. Uh, of course it would be. Yeah, it's, this can't be a coincidence. It's like they're super familiar yeah. with what it's like to be possessed by a demon. And so as soon as they sort of feel that like, oh, no, it's demons taking me over. So they act that out. And then they, you know, generally... It's not like faked at that point. Like it, it becomes like genuinely, you know, they're a little crazy in the head at that point. Uh, and you can see why the exorcisms would then work because they have the the preconceived belief that the exorcism will work. Same with the St. Vitus's thing. It was believed, the people believed if they just went and did that, that it would cure them of their dance hysteria. And you see this, we're going to get into some less not religious related events where the exact same thing happens. Yeah. Uh, where, where people believe a certain thing will cure them and then magically it does. So going back to Dr. Hempelman, Hempelman. So he notes of many such mass hysteria events. Now we call it mass psychogenic illness, MPI. It's psychogenic, meaning it's all in the minds of the people who showed the symptoms. It's not caused by an element in the environment like food poisoning or a toxin. There is an underlying shared stress factor in the population. It usually occurs in a group of people who don't have a lot of power. MPI is a last resort for people of a low status. It's an easy way for them to express that something is wrong, That may be why it has come to be associated more often with women. Yeah, and so you can see that classically, historically, why children and women were the ones who really seemed to be affected by this a lot, because, of course, historically, children and women had no say in anything. Their life was just controlled in every facet and high stress because, like, a woman would be running the household, all that. What if there's no food? She's still expected to figure something out, you know, like to put something together. She's still expected to manage the household and make sure everyone's being, you know, in a certain time period morally morally correct and all that and so in charge of all this stuff high stress has no say in anything and the nuns the same type of thing they're sent to these convents and <laughs> maybe they didn't yeah it's like yeah there's no food so i didn't prepare dinner and i'm also called dogs no <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah and significant here is that the cases of this and dance mania and a lot of these ones now we will get into there's modern uh, sort of more isolated instance of this type of thing but yeah. a lot of these things kind of go away when people stopped believing that you know like that that would be the correct behavior. Like if you got demon possessed and like that around like the 18th, 19th century, all of a sudden people believe different stuff. They no longer think you're going to get this St. Vitus's dance thing. And suddenly people stop yeah. getting St. Vitus's dance. It's all, it's all very circular and all very like, oh, well, if this happens, that happens. And then I feel yeah. like you need to just isolate the people for a proper yeah. scientific study and would figure all of this out. Yeah. And uh, speaking of that, so Dr. Hempelman uh, notes... It's more common than you think. It usually starts in a school or in a workplace when people are in a stressful situation and they don't have the power to get out of that situation. This happens in Lafayette, Indiana. Yep. I was going to say industries. 
<laughs> I was like, no, that's, uh, that's not what it stands for. Uh, continuing, a couple of years ago, they get someone to spray the area to comfort people who were involved. People involved say that there were a bunch of bugs and they were all stung by it. They don't admit that it was hysteria. Yeah. Wait, wait a second. What happens? So it, when, when stuff like this happens, people never want to admit that, that they were you know, psychological hysteria. They're always, there's a cause, there's a microbe, there's a, in this case, there's some bugs that stung us all. And that's what caused us to have this reaction, you know, uh, this sort of thing. And so and a, a good example of this, February of 1787, actually going back a little bit, the cotton manufactory at Hotter Bridge in Lancashire. Is it sure? Lancashire or Lancashire? Lancashire, England. I was wondering that because you had the Worcestershire Worcestershire. I think both are acceptable because I looked this up once. I think Worcestershire and Worcester are both acceptable pronunciations when you're talking about Worcestershire sauce. If someone wants to mention in the live chat, then we will know for sure. I, I'm not certain though. But it's also, you know, I think it's Lancashire, but I could be wrong. Well, anyway, I'm pretty sure it's England. Lancashire. So this is uh, so reported by Dr. William Clare, who was the one who went to investigate the incidents. And then he notes A girl put a mouse into the breast of another girl who had a great dread of mice. The girl was immediately thrown into a fit and continued in it with the most violent convulsions for 24 hours. Yeah, that's intense. And so this, as you mentioned, I mean, working at those types of places wasn't the awesomest thing in the world. So either way, the next day, so she's she's cured after that, uh, apparently. <laughs> working uh, in then, a cotton mill in 1787, not the most awesome thing in the world. Definitely not. No. Yeah, so the next day, a few other women, uh -huh. they start freaking out in the exact same way. And so there's, again, no apparent cause. This continues to spread and then Dr. Claire is, is called in and so he notes when, he's, when he comes. By this time the alarm was so great that the whole work in which between 200 and 300 were employed was totally stopped and an idea prevailed that a particular disease had been introduced by a bag of cotton opened in the house. I'm, I'm gonna guess it's not the bag of cotton. <laughs> no and so there 24 people by the time he got there 24 people had been afflicted and it wasn't like constant again it was like this 24 hours and then they might come back and freak out again but like it wasn't like they were non-stop for these several days in a row again it's kind of they kind of would go back and forth yeah. on it uh, and so then he he notes of the afflictions of these 21 were young women two were girls about 10 years of age and one man who had been much fatigued with holding the girls the symptoms were anxiety strangulation and very strong convulsions and these were so violent as to last without any intermission from a quarter of an hour to 24 hours and to require four or five persons to prevent the patients from tearing their hair and dashing their heads against the floor or walls and so this is crazy yeah they're they're definitely not like it's not like they're faking it they're definitely not in, no. right in their head uh at this point so it is the 18th century. He doesn't think there's anything wrong with them except for anxiety, extreme anxiety. I mean, this is actually a good diagnosis for a doctor of that time. Uh, so this is what he thinks is wrong. But he is a doctor of the 18th century. So naturally, his cure for extreme anxiety is shock therapy. Ah, okay. Well, so he's yeah, moved on from make... ghosts in the blood, at least. Yeah, but they believed, the people believed the shock therapy would cure them. And, uh, and so it did. Uh, so they, <laughs> after they were shock therapied, they were all better. Uh, completely better. And then he told everyone at the meal, look, there's nothing wrong with any of you. It's just anxiety. And or ner I think he said it was a nervous, whatever, there's mm -hmm. some sort of 18th century term of nervous something, but anxiety, basically. And so this, the mill 
reopens and there was no further fits at all. Everyone was fine. So he, he basically told them there's, there's nothing wrong with the cotton. There's no disease here. You just all have nerves, basically. And that fixed it. So a much more recent event, this one, 2011, and social media induced, apparently. Oh. Uh, so a couple dozen students at Leroy High School in New York. So and later one adult who was a friend had a friend whose daughter was afflicted by this thing. They suddenly started having these facial twitches and uh, exhibiting other signs of Tourette syndrome. And noteworthy here is one of the people did actually have Tourette syndrome. And this seems to be like maybe how it all started uh -huh. because it was her friends, her friends that started at first and it kind of caught on a little bit from there. And so the doctors, they, you know, doctors in the state came and examined too, because you have all these students from the school that are afflicted by this, this nervous twitching and like all this and what's going on here. Uh, and so they, the state comes in, doctors look at them and they're like, yep, they're just really stressed out. That's like, that's all that's happening here. And so this was super controversial because everyone wanted to act like there was a, a cause. And I think that, you know, the Aaron Brockovich, what is that? Uh, is that the one with the lead in the water? Yeah, she tried to come in in this one and also act like it was something to do with the train derailment that spread some chemicals or something like that uh, mm -hmm. but it, it it didn't that was no connection they they examined everything and of course it was just these i feel like i've seen the erin brockovich movie but wasn't that actually a real thing yeah it was it i don't know how heads, like right? I, I believe in that movie they they make her seem a bit like a hero i don't know if she actually was or if she was like if they paint her really nicely i, don't, I really don't know the details of the actual event i think i saw it like 20 years ago in this story she doesn't end up looking so good but I didn't really write that part down. So they go look at them. They and they the doctors just say you're stressed out. Get off social media for a while. Go do stuff. These things to reduce stress. And magically, the the girls. It was mostly girls. Um, the friend were friends of this other girl. Uh, were cured. But the ones who didn't do that, who continued to go on social media, post about their thing. Some of them went on talk shows and stuff to talk about their thing. They magically continued to have the thing and, and literally couldn't stop this twitching and Tourette's like behavior. They, they took longer. They, all, they were all cured eventually, but, you know, it, it took them longer. The ones who actually took the advice of just doing these stress-reducing things, they, it went away. And the one adult, uh, Marjorie Fitzsimmons, she also noted that she, she was like, yeah, I was super stressed out at the time, so that totally makes sense. And her symptoms also, uh, she, she, I, uh, I forgot to put the quote in, but she actually had a thing where she said uh, it was like when she felt even more stressed, she would have more tics and more of the, the Tourette syndrome thing. And when she was less, it would kind of go away. And then eventually when she worked through it and her stress, and then it just went away completely. So again, because of all the skeptics and stuff, people, people didn't want to accept this. They were like, no, there's got to be something actually wrong with them. But the, uh, so a Dent Neurological Institute doctor, Dr. Laszlo Metzler, uh, he sort of summed up his opinion on it though. The vindication for us is that the patients are better. They've got their lives back. So it, it definitely seemed the stress thing, it seemed to fix the problem. And once again, and this actually happens, there's so many accounts of this. It's usually isolated now. Do like the doctor or Hempelman or whatever the guy's name was. It's like to like, you know, factories and things like this where people might be really stressed out, like a whole mass of people. And then one person, like you say, oh, I got an itch in my knee and now everyone's got an itch in their knee type of thing. And this is just, you know, it's, it's actually it happens a lot. It's not totally uncommon. And that is today's episode. Other than the feedback. Because we do, we actually have good feedback this time. Oh, we do. I, I have, a, I separated it for two feedback, one for the podcast and one for YouTube. All right. Which one do you want to do first? Yeah, the podcast, so then we can, we can stop. Cool. Okay. Yeah, so the first do you one. you want to lead the charge? DaftTool. Yeah, go on. Yeah, DaftTool. This is a reference to, uh, well, I'll let you read it and then we can talk about it. Uh, DaftTool writes, my giraffe video shows a giraffe bull doing the Flemon response. Testing the urine of yeah, a female, Flemeth. That's yeah, yeah. That's cool. where they 
drink the pee, basically. And well, it's really when they, they do the thing with their you've seen like horses where they'll like take their lips up and then kind of show their teeth type of oh, thing. Yeah. Have you seen this? Yeah, yeah. And like hold it open. Like that's a uh, cats do that sometimes too. When they smell something, they'll do that where they kinda I have not seen that. that yeah. That that's what, I am familiar with the horses one. called. Yeah. Uh, it ignores the music. They pulled my other song. I assume that's just reference to the video music. Um, we used to have a 15-foot female that would back up to us when she was in heat. She had been hand-raised, so sometimes preferred the company of people more than other giraffes. The bull giraffe did not like this. He <laughs> would get very yeah. pissy. Yeah, and so people who missed that episode, that was they would back up, the females back up when they want you to mate with them or to taste their pee and then maybe mate with them. So they'll back up to the males they like. And so this... Uh, yeah. Yeah. If you missed our episode about the bizarre animal mating habits, we just did like an hour and a half of, about animals mating. Yeah. I think it was yeah. the last episode. Yeah. And yeah, then the, the, that. the next one, Anthony Charmante. So we had, we also talked about the stone babies. Uh, and so he actually had, there was a stone cow baby, apparently. My family had a cattle ranch in the 1980s, and we had a cow give birth to a nearly full sized calf that was petrified. So, and calves are big. Like I've seen these. Yeah. This is not like a small thing. Well, it could have been small because it didn't have to be necessarily full, full grown. Full sized calf. It says right there, nearly full sized calf. Ouch. How did that, how did that cow survive that? It's intense. Well, it was that woman who lived to be like, oh, you mean the giving birth? Yeah. I don't know. For two or three years, we had been having her bred with no success until she passed that petrified stillborn. Also, we've got quite the range of people listening to this we talked about two things that came up and one person yeah. who rears giraffes and another person who breeds yeah. cattle. Yeah. 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 And, and then the Char- stone cattle. Well, and then Charles Martin uh, talks about, so we had the dead duck day with the, the dead, the male duck that got raped by the, the other duck. Um, Charles Martin so- says, watch videos of turkey hunts and you will note that when two or more toms are in vicinity of each other, the one shot will be sexually assaulted by the others. This is interesting due to Toms being so skittish about sounds that after hearing a shotgun blast, they don't run or fly away, but proceed to sexually assault the dying fowl. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Male Top turkeys three. are the worst. In high school, I had to help raise them and you go into their little pen and they all act like yeah. they're going to attack you when they start to get old. They, like, they fluff up and they're all like around and they're huge, you know, they're, they're not small and they got their big talons. But they're also really stupid. So I used to bring like a like a replica samurai sword that was shiny. And literally they would start to like come at me and I just like hold out the sword and then they'd just be like, whoa, and like completely different. Like, what is that? You know, like and you just kind of hold it and they're just like their little heads bobbing, like looking at it and stuff. It was hilarious. But, you know, turkey's yeah, not dumb. dumb. So, so dumb. Uh, Drayhawk. Drayhawk. Says, yeah. Actually, the movie Junior. Oh, OK. So we were talking about, oh, the bonus fact last week was blew my mind that kind of biologically with a little bit of tweaking a man could have a baby yeah Um, it's not even you're probably not going to be a i mean it could be a super healthy baby but it'd be high risk yeah so drayhawk says uh actually the movie junior was pretty accurate when it came to preparing for sustaining a pregnancy in a man's body including the risk it as it neared term of getting tangled in the men's in in the man's intestines they definitely did their research that's the one I hadn't really thought about. Like that, you would that would almost definitely happen, right? Like all those intestines in there. So, well, yeah. this is why I thought it was so crazy because you're like, oh yeah, it can just feed off the liver. I'm like, what? It can? Yeah. Well, and that 
that does happen with women sometimes. And there are ones who survive and are fine, but there is a high risk of, I don't remember what we said, the percentage, like 25, 50% or something of birth defect, something like that. Yeah. But yeah, like it's amazing that they don't all get, you know, entangled in intestines and things like that. But either way. Crazy. Rich Ditchard on the, on this one came from the website comment, actually. Uh, is that on all? Oh, wait, I skipped, I skipped one. Oh, yeah. Battery Zio. Yeah. He says, and Dave and it's nuclear, not, well, how do you say nuclear? Nu- nuclear, but you know, I think, I think I responded, nuclear. you can take my nuclear when you fry it from my cold dead hands. Because no, it's just from Oklahoma. I did, I lived in Oklahoma for a little bit. So for a while I said things like light bulb and uh, uh, ambience and uh, breakfast. Breakfast is one, breakfast is one that stuck around for a lot of years. What the hell is that? I say a breakfast instead of breakfast. What's breakfast? Breakfast in Oklahoma is how you say breakfast fist everywhere else no wow Uh, i I used to have a really thick a really thick country accent too there i was on this like um you know one of them kids local tv shows you know they're like this little stupid i don't remember what name it is but like i have a video of that and i had like the thickest country drawl even though i only lived there for a couple years i don't know how i got it and then i got i like had it for i don't know six months when i moved back to the pacific northwest and then just magically went away and at no huh. point did I realize that it was just because people would make fun of me for it. But I don't know. But I still had the breakfast for a while and I still have the nuclear. So. How would you spell breakfast? Breakfast. Breakfast. And I can actually remember one time I got it wrong on a spelling test for that exact reason. And I said to my teacher, but you say breakfast. And she said, yes, but it's spelled breakfast. She didn't say you don't say breakfast because she, she said it that way too. But that's uh, so I, I distinctly remember. Wow. On the, there yeah. you go. Uh, anyway, yeah. you wrote about, you know, taking the nuclear from my cold, dead hands. I just commented that. Yeah. Welcome to my actual life every day. Yeah. At least you're an American. Like, at least you say it like most of the yeah. people listening to our videos. I'll say controversy. And people are like, Is uh, that- yeah. uh, now I get it confused. How do you say that? Uh, controversy. Controversy. That sounds more British somehow. Like, controversy. Controversy. Yeah, a little bit. Anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, but... No, it's, I'm not pronouncing it wrong. I'm pronouncing it in the way that I've pronounced it for the 32 years of my life. <laughs> um, Rich Dickard. I went with Dickard. Dickard. <laughs> Sorry, Rich. Hey, post yeah. on the website. If you posted these on your Patreon, I would pay for them. Wait, what's he talking about? Uh, I think we probably made comments about how much money this podcast costs us. Ah, uh, yeah. Oh, it's a host, lot. Hosting costs. Yeah. You've got this weird problem with podcasts because they can get popular before you get sponsors. Like they can yeah. be popular enough to cost you a fortune in hosting, but not popular yeah. enough to attract sponsors, which is pretty much where brain food lies right now. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. It's, it's that, I don't know, six, 700 bucks a month or something for the hosting alone. And then the, the fees for audio processing and all that. It's not cheap. Uh, he says, I know it. I know it costs y'all a lot. So maybe getting some upfront a week before or something would help incentivize you. I sincerely hope you post more. I've been checking back weekly since you stopped posting them. Well, we're back. Yeah, we are back now. That's that. All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening. This has been another episode of the Brain Food Show. We're back on a regular schedule, it seems. We're being pretty good at this for like three weeks in a row now. So subscribe, leave us a review, all of that amazing stuff. And we'll be back next week with another show. See you then. Para el sasas.